For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. It is Monday, November 20th. One of the problems with labor strikes is that when they're over, it's hard to tell who won and lost. In the six months of writers and actors strikes that just finished, both unions got some pretty impressive gains in things like basic wages, bonuses and streaming and AI. All those are wins, although there's some debate about the AI one, as we've covered. But could these guilds have gotten more? Did SAG-AFTRA and the WGA leave important things on the table or even focus on the entirely wrong issues? It's just hard to tell. And a lot of the success of these deals is going to be dependent on how the application plays out in the real world, which is kind of unknown. So today we're going to do a winners and losers of the strikes show, but we're going to do it from a little bit of a different perspective. We're going to look at some sneaky wins, losses, people and groups you might not have thought were winners, but secretly were, or who might have presented themselves as winners, but actually lost. For that, we've got Lucas Shaw back in here. He's been a great sounding board throughout these strikes. No call sheet today. Today, it's the sneaky winners and losers of the Hollywood labor strikes. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. Happy Thanksgiving week. What is today? What is Monday called of Thanksgiving week? Blue Monday? I don't know. Do we need one? Because you have Black <laughs> Friday and you've got Thanksgiving. Is there a is there a Cyber Wednesday Saturday, one? Small Business Saturday? I don't I don't know. No, Cyber Monday is after Thanksgiving. I participate in none of these things. I do. Every day is Amazon Day at my house. So we just if you get a discount for Black Friday, great. All right. We are talking about the winners and losers of the strikes. We're not quite done with this. It still has to be, the, the actor's deal still has to be ratified by the membership. And that's going on right now. I believe the voting ends on December 5th, but probably going to pass. So let's get right into it. We don't need to go into the big one. Like, obviously, you know, the unions are winners because they got certain things. The studios are winners because they prevented you know, the total banning of AI. Like, we don't want to get into the big, big macro topics. I thought it'd be interesting to go into some of the more unexpected people and entities here that are winners and losers from this six-month standoff. So I'm going to let you open it up. Do you want to start with a winner or a loser? Uh, I'll start with a winner. All right, give me your first... Let's start on a positive note. Sneaky winner of the strike. My first winner, I don't know if you'll consider this sneaky, but it seems we just got to do it, is Aaron Korsh. Oh, interesting. 
You know, he's my neighbor. Really? He is. I've seen him around the neighborhood, yes. But so he's the creator of Suits. He's the creator of Suits, uh, which became sort of the show of the strike. In part, I think, because there wasn't as much new to watch. And so mm. people flocked to this sort of comfort food that happens on Netflix. And this was a writer who had some success. He'd written for Everybody Loves Raymond and Just Shoot Me earlier in his career, but really hadn't done much since Suits. He had a spinoff show from it that didn't work. And now, not only has Suits been the most watched show in the U.S. for like three or four months, but he's getting a, he's getting us a, a new spinoff, if you will. It's totally rejuvenated his career. And you think that only happened because of the strike? No, I think it was, but it, I think it definitely benefited him. It definitely benefited. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. But I don't think, I, think, I don't think that, a, I don't think that we would have spent so much time talking about a sort of a rerun if there was some new show or movie that captured everyone's attention. There was definitely a period of time there for a couple of months where. People just didn't seem to have a lot new to watch. And so what did they watch? They watched Suits. Right. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I just think that that phenomenon would have happened probably anyways. These flukes of the algorithm where they'd catch on and all of a sudden everybody's watching. I think the Meghan Markle factor, they could put her on the tile and people were sort of reminded that there's a Meghan Markle show that they probably have heard of and never watched. I think it's also a good show. It's addictive once you start watching it. You're watching it, right? I am watching it. But what was the last rerun or kind of dated show like that that had such a strong second life on Netflix? That it's definitely happened a bunch of times before. Yeah, I mean, I the one that I always cite is Shit's Creek, where I got into that not when it was airing, but during the pandemic when I was looking for a comedy and all of a sudden it was on Netflix. And, you know, it's a little different because there was a new season that was yeah. airing. It wasn't like totally old. But I think that's a good example of a show that caught fire on Netflix. The, the, the one everyone always uses is Breaking Bad. Yeah, but and that's a decade old. Yeah, exactly. But that's but it happens. I mean, these shows they don't they don't do suits numbers, but they do some number. Yeah. Well, anyways, you can nitpick, but that is that is my that's first a good one. No, I'll agree with you. All right, my first sneaky winner of the strike. I don't know how sneaky it is for you and I, but maybe for the general public is Gunnar. Wiesenfeld, <laughs> the CFO of Warner Brothers Discovery. This is the guy in charge of cutting costs at Warner Discovery. And this strike has been a gift in his lap. I mean, the metric that they really want to improve at Warner Discovery is free cash flow, which is the revenue that is coming through the company. And when you don't have expenses on new original content, your free cash flow is going through the roof and they are now predicting $5 billion in free cash flow for this year, way up pre-strike. So I know there's all sorts of consequences down the road and we just talked about one of them, the lack of new shows and the fact that the streaming subscribers on Max are stagnant and even losing subscribers. But free cash flow, what he cares about is doing great. Yes, I guess my... You know, the company didn't have a good strike. The stocks that in the is tank, true. the streaming service isn't growing, all those things. But yes, for the purposes of someone whose job is to manage the balance sheet and who does want to generate free cash flow so that he can get paid a fat bonus and his boss can get paid a fat bonus, huge win. Yeah, I mean, they can't help the macro trends that are killing the company. They can't help that the ad market is soft and not getting better necessarily. 
they can't help that the cable television business is in secular decline, but they can help how much they spend. And when there's a strike, not allowing you to spend any money, then you get a benefit. So Gunnar, congratulations. The strike helped. you. All right. Let's go to our first loser of the strike. Now, obviously, there's tons of losers. The, you could say the entire entertainment industry lost in these six months of a shutdown. You could say the California economy lost. I mean, whatever your preferred estimate, it's either 4.5 billion, 6 billion. I've seen 7 billion in losses. We're not talking about those. Give me your stealth loser. So I'm going to start with one that is sort of in that realm. So mm-hmm. if you hate it, you can tell me. But I do think that the sort of basically the Hollywood assistant, if you will, and or like IOPSI members who are sort of your your normal crew people. Those are the folks who got totally fucked by this thing. Wait, you're comparing z- assistants to crew members? You're saying the like rank and file worker. I'm s- saying they were both collateral damage to this where yeah. obviously, look, IOPSI was supportive and they have their own contract coming up and they will push for a lot and maybe there will be another strike next year. I'm just saying there were a lot of people who got fucked over by this who didn't have a say in the negotiations. Right. And okay, tended to be right. the first people punished because work on on shows slowed down before the strike even happened. And so there were people who, you know, worked in art departments or things like that who were out of work basically all year. And then when agencies and studios had to cut, one of the first places they went was people that they deemed disposable. It's not like they were going to cut the head of a studio or an SVP of comedy or something. Mm-hmm. They cut the people that they figured they didn't need. Yeah, I would say that IATSE, the union for below the line people, I think they are a big loser of this strike because they not only were collateral damage here, they couldn't work even though their union was not being was not negotiating a better deal. And I think that after this six-month showdown, the appetite within the for industry another strike, yeah. for another strike is just not there. So they are potentially losing leverage in their negotiations that are coming up, and that could hurt them long-term. Thank you for helping me workshop that. I think that is, that is the right answer. <laughs> uh, I, not that I don't care about the assistants. I do. I know we have a lot of assistant listeners. I, I care very much about them. But I think that if there's one guild that has been hurt by this, it's probably IOTC. All right, my first loser, and I don't mean to pick on this guy, but he's sort of the poster child for all of the actors that were unable to promote their product during the four months of the actor strike. And I'm going to pick an actor named Zolo Maradueno. No! Who is the star (laughs) of Blue Beetle. Did I just, did you have him too? Well, I think you picked the wrong person in Blue Beetle. My per- first pick was going to be the director of Blue oh, Beetle. Angel Soto. So this is why, yeah, sorry, make well, your let case. Me give, and then let I'll, me give yeah. you my argument. So Zolo Maradueno, who's a TV star, star of Cobra Kai on Netflix. This is his first big movie. He's the star of a DC movie. First Latino star of any DC movie. He's 22. This is like his big break. I follow him on Instagram because I like Cobra Kai. And like, He was, you know, while they were shooting, he was like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. I get to be a superhero. Then this big break comes. His movie's coming out and he has to go completely dark in all promotion, does not get to say a word about this. And yes, the movie ended up flopping. It didn't do well. But even if it didn't do well, this would have been a huge deal 
for an actor like this and would have gotten him out there in a way that he never would have. And there's many actors that are like this. You could make the argument for, you know, the people who starred in this new Gen V show on Amazon, the boys spinoff. You could make the argument for all the stars of Dumb Money, which was a, a, a movie that flopped in September and had a great cast like uh, Paul Dano and Shailene Woodley and Pete Davidson, um, Seth Rogen. Like they didn't get to promote this. That movie really suffered because of it. So there's a whole bunch of Ellen Burstyn would have been nice to see her out there promoting Exorcist after 40 years of uh, after being in the original. But I think Zola Maradueno got screwed the most. So I'll tell you why. And I knew I should have gone with my director first so you couldn't step on it. But the the reason I picked the filmmaker, I think you're totally dead on with the actor, but with Angel Manuel Soto, his previous movie, Charm City Kings, which was, you know, produced by the Smith. Anyways, it premiered at Sundance. It was supposed to be this sort of indie festival darling. Sony Pictures Classics was going to release it. And then the pandemic happens. And so he has to, <laughs> he has to, they, it gets sold to HBO Max and basically gets sort of dropped during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So this movie that was going to be probably his big announcement to the, the world of movie fans sort of gets silenced because of the pandemic. Then his second movie, because it got decent reviews, he, he had Blue Beetle, which was going to be his sort of big, big budget blockbuster. He's also Latino. He's from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. It was t- all the things that, that you said about the actor. Um, and then h- this movie, as you know, just gets kind of crushed. Yes, it might not have done well anyways, but it still would have been a big moment for him in totally. his career. Totally. And it probably would have done better. And so both of his first two big movies both get hurt by forces way beyond his control. And that just sucks. That does suck. <laughs> All right. Pour one out for both of them. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Let's move on to our second winner here. Go for it. So do you want me to go uh, really small or really big in terms of size of company? Go really small. The big one, well, do both. Okay, so I'll do the small ones are, that are obvious to me are the A24s and Neons of the world. Yeah, that's pretty obvious. These are companies that had interim agreements and could promote. Okay. And get to fill an Oscar. Okay, Matt doesn't like that one. We'll do that. No, I mean, whatever. Like, <laughs> yes, we they 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 were used as leverage by the union and they were given interim agreements and they got to promote their movies. Like, good for them. Mm. I, I I feel like that's a little obvious. So give it give us the other one. My other one is Amazon and Apple. Oh. So 
you look at the companies that got crushed or got criticized by the unions or the executives, and it was Ted Sarandos at Netflix, Bob Iger at Disney, David Zaslav at Warner Brothers Discovery, the two most valuable companies working in Hollywood, Amazon and Apple, get zero scrutiny, zero blowback, zero negative tension. These are companies that have generally devalued media over the course of their years. And you labor know, unions, don't you forget. You get, yeah, they're, they're, they're both pretty anti-union. You get video for free, basically, for Amazon with shipping. Apple helped kill the DVD, all these things. And yet they just skate through this whole thing, getting basically no scrutiny. And I think that makes them sneaky winners. Okay, I, I, I like that pick. Uh, it is weird that they just sort of pieced out on the negotiations. Yeah. And we're like, you know what? We're good. Like, you guys, you guys can handle that. Paramount sort of wasn't like Brian Robbins, who runs the film studio at Paramount. Like, he's sort of not an established player. And Tony Vince Aquera at Sony, he, for some reason, wasn't involved. There was the four that you mentioned, Donna Langley being the fourth. And Amazon and Apple just weren't involved. And I, <laughs> yeah. I've had people ask me why. And I honestly think that these companies are just like, you know what? We don't really want to deal with this unpleasantness with labor unions. Like we just sort of like pretend they don't exist and tell us when you guys are done. We'll just accept whatever you agree to, but we're, we'd rather not participate. Like, why do you think that those two giant companies weren't involved in these negotiations? Part of it is what you said. They wanted avoid. They want to avoid any tussles with labor unions at all costs. I also just think you know you look at the executives and at Apple, it's Zach Van Amberg and Jamie Erlich. Then they're not. They don't have sort of the experience or the gravitas. Right. They were TV studio heads before. Yeah, Apple. and at Amazon, you'd think that between Mike Hopkins and Jen Salky, that like one of them could. But I just think it's easier for them. To, like, also, a lot of the things that people are fighting over are, were more pertinent to these other places. Like, Amazon and Apple probably don't, like, don't, maybe don't want to care as much about minimums. And I, I will say the one area on which I heard that they were fairly engaged was they were in the camp that was opposed to disclosing viewership. Because obviously, these are ultra secretive tech companies that yeah. don't like to hand over data. So I do think that that's one issue where they got a little bit touchy. I just think also in, for those companies where entertainment is a rounding error, it's not their core business, the potential negatives of being associated with an ugly labor fight outweigh the positives of potentially getting something you wanted out of a deal by being involved. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they just it's it's more beneficial to them to just not have their executive names in all of these stories. OK, what do you got? So. My next sneaky winner is a category of people. And I know we're not really parsing out the specifics of the deal as much here, but I got to say a sneaky winner of these strikes is screenwriters, movie screenwriters, because so much focus during the strike was on TV writers, staffing the writer's room in, for TV shows, all of the things associated with, you know, the bonuses and all that stuff that, that, they got for streaming hits. It was mostly focused on TV. Very few people talked about one of the biggest gains in this Writers Guild deal, which is a guaranteed second step or a guaranteed second payment for writers whenever they are hired to do a first draft of a screenplay for, they say, twice the minimum or less. They get a guaranteed second step to do a pass or a rewrite and get paid for that. 
And that is a huge win for writers who are often asked to do that and then not get paid for it. And I think that's one of the sneaky closet, you know, low key wins of this strike. I got nothing to add. I that, that we got real in the weeds there. Yeah, no, that's a that's a win. But, for, that's, but well, you, I mean, you saw the terms just like I did. That didn't stick out at you. It is a big win for film writers during a fight that, as you say, was very much about TV. I do feel like that's a little bit of a technicality because I, I think you would say all the writers were winners, right? Like if we if we were not well, maybe this, we don't know we doing, this writer these staffing minimums. We we need to see how this is going to play out. Because it sounds great and they can throw a party for, you know, Ellen, their lead negotiator, and they can be pat themselves on the back. But we don't know how this is going to play out, whether the studios and networks are going to make changes to the way they do these shows to get around these staffing minimums. We'll, we're going to see. Maybe they'll just make a lot fewer shows to make up the costs. But this screenwriter gain is a pretty big deal. And I think that will stay and benefit people for a long time. Yeah, well said. <laughs> <laughs> All right, your your next loser. My my other Give me loser, your second loser. My other loser. You, I, I sort of lost because it was Angel Manuel Soto. But maybe I'll do. Um, maybe I'll do something like the the creators of a league of their own, and sort of more broadly, a bunch of these writer producers who got show where one of the downsides of the strike was there were a lot of fringe shows that got canceled that otherwise... Yeah, why are you selecting a league of their own? There's so many shows that got I didn't scrapped. want... I'm doing the whole category. I just looked through the list of them and I picked that one out because that one had had a sort of tortured process where they already like had a tortured negotiation to get a second season with fewer episodes and less budget yeah. and it was going to go forward and then the strike happens and then it doesn't go forward. But that there are... Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there are a ton of those shows that were sort of continuing because of the previous era of the television business yeah. and as companies cut costs and then had extra uh, reason to cut costs with the strikes there are just at least a dozen or two shows that are are not going to continue because of that yeah the one that stuck out for me was ava duvernay who had a three season green light of a romantic drama at stars pre-strike like they agreed to make three seasons of the show uh, I forget what the title is. And then after the strike, they're like, yeah, you know, we're not going to do any of those. <laughs> and they had already shot a lot of the first season. So that's a pretty big loss to go from three seasons to zero in one decision. Not great. Star Anyone who had a, sto a show at Stars was kind of screwed because they, during the strike, you know, the economics changed and now they're trying to pare things down because they want to split off the company and sell portions of it. So it's kind of a mess. Yeah. Okay, you g give me one more. Uh, I'm deciding between... I was going to pick Drew Barrymore. My two picks are sort of image-based, and it's dangerous to talk about that because I think we in the media tend to think that media kerfuffles are actually damaging when, for the most part, they usually aren't. But there are examples where they do catch on as a narrative. And I think the Drew Barrymore situation where she agreed to go back to production in her on her show, even though her show did have some striking writers on it, that the blowback around that and her backtrack and you know eventually being forced to keep the show shut down, I think that did do a little bit of damage to her brand, which is very much not that. So you were going to pick Drew Barrymore, or you are picking? I Drew have Barrymore? another 
image <laughs> person that I'm okay. going to actually pick. But Drew was on my list. Do you disagree with Drew, or do you do you think that any of that stuff matters? I, I'm torn over Drew for for the same reason that you are, which is yes, it it hurt her for a couple of weeks, but I don't know how lasting that is. Yeah, I don't know either. Although the writers on that show did decline to return to the show, but. I don't know. Are people even going to not do the Drew? Bradley I don't know show? if the average viewer, like, if is, is she going to lose half a million viewers between this season and next season? No, no, the viewers that. don't care. I'm talking about the talent because she requires guests on her show, right? So maybe some, you know, stars or writers might not. But do she doesn't. It's not like she has a lot of writers coming on her show. It's a bunch of famous people. <laughs> That's are. true. That's true. I know. And then, so, like, some people were saying that Bill Maher was a loser because he did the same thing. He said he was going to go back, and then he got chained into not going back. But like, Bill Maher's brand is a being a total asshole and contrarian. So I don't think he suffers at all. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, but my actual image problem that I do think was hurt most of any of the CEOs in this is probably Bob Iger. I think Iger is a loser because that initial interview he did at Sun Valley where he called the writer's demands unreasonable, um, it came at a key moment because the actors had just voted to go on strike. And it gave the actors a perfect villain. Here was this billionaire CEO who makes endless money sitting at a mogul retreat in Sun Valley with the backdrop of the you know billionaire's camp and talking about how the little people are being unrealistic in their demands for a little bit more money. Fran Drescher jumped on that. People like Brian Cranston jumped on that. All these actors now had a boogeyman to use in really setting the tone for public perception of the actor's strike, which was higher for the actors than in previous strikes. More of the public backed the actors in this strike than in previous than the previous writer's strike, which is interesting. I think the labor sentiment in this country has changed a little since 2007, but it did set the tone. And I think Iger suffered. I think his reputation suffered. It suffered, but when push came to shove and it was time to do a deal, everyone involved said that he, from the studio side, was the lead peacemaker. He was the person that the other side respected and would talk to and would reach out to. And he was sort of the leader of the, the studio team. I don't know how much that helps him publicly. Um, and obviously, he's got so many other, he's got like so many bigger problems, or not bigger, but so many other problems at Disney um, that he's just having a rough year no matter what. That's true. I just he recovered that, a little bit by the end of it, I think. Yeah, that's, that's true. Two things. I think that Iger does get away with doing more CEO type things like laying off thousands of people and making changes and cuts to movies and shows because he has the credibility of the creative community backing him. He is one of them. He came up through the creative side. He has always emphasized the creative power of Disney. And to see him in a perch like that, criticizing his own creative people, I think really took him down a notch um, in, in the perception of him within the industry. Oh, it was a colossal miscalculation on his part. Because one of the reasons I also think that he tends to get away with some of this other stuff is that he's usually so good at communication yes. and managing. And that was just, that just wasn't that. Right. The other thing is, like, remember, this was supposed to be the Netflix strike. This was the Netflix strike. 
when the writers first went out on strike, there was a whole New York Times piece about how this was the Netflix strike and everybody was rebelling against the model that Netflix brought to Hollywood. And then one by one, David Zasloff with his, you know, commencement speech villainy and the can party and all the bad optics of that. And then Bob Iger putting his foot in his mouth at Sun Valley. They sort of took the heat off of Netflix. So like, Ted Sarandos is like a, a sneaky winner in all of this because he was supposed to be the villain of the strike and he sort of went dark and let these other CEOs kind of take the heat from him. Yeah, that's a good call. He he, it, They still obviously got a ton of public criticism, uh, but Ted did not become a, a villain in the way, in quite the same way that Zaz and, and Iger did. So yeah, they should, Ted should invite everyone to the Montecito house and like uh, give them a party. On the image front, do you think that their sort of relative toothlessness in all of this hurt either Mayor Karen Bass or Governor Gavin Newsom at all? Maybe. I mean, it's disappointing that neither of them was able to get involved and like make a real difference here. But for Newsom in, in particular, these studios are his donors. He was compromised. He can't get out there on the picket line like Adam Schiff did or Katie Porter because he's, you know, he's, he depends on these people. And I, I don't, so I don't think long-term, no, I don't think anyone cares. I mean, I know Newsom got a, lot, a little bit of shit because he vetoed a bill that would have given unemployment to people who go on strike. And I know that the guilds were not happy about that, but I mean, what are they going to, what are they going to do? There's not a lot of choice in California. So I don't think, I mean, do you disagree? No, I, I even during the strike, I didn't quite understand the calls for them to be the the the, the brokers or peacemakers because I. Oh, just they could have think... gotten involved if if Karen Bass was more comfortable in this world in the Hollywood world. I think she would have had a little more credibility to go out there and say like, "Listen, we're going to this room, or I'm sending my people, or I'm putting more pressure on these companies to do a deal." That that doesn't seem to have happened. I know there was some back channeling, but it didn't seem to happen in the public. Yeah. The other losers I had was obviously the restaurants around L.A., like the Palm closed and like a bunch of these restaurants really suffered. Um, the other one we didn't talk about was the agencies like Ari Emanuel. I thought about Ari. He said he was loser. losing $25 million a month thanks to the strikes. And the big agencies were much better positioned to ride this out because they're diversified. I think the real losers are the smaller talent agencies that depend on actors and writers and not a lot of other things going on. So they really suffered. Yeah. And it's hard to know how much of the, uh, of some of the, the kind of the chaos at, at Endeavor and, and Ari Emanuel's business over the last few months you put on, or how much this strike exacerbated that, I should say. Interesting. Yeah. And for winners, my, my runners up, Swingers, Bob's big boy, big winners. Drew Carey, big winner. I know you Drew Carey. Agree. Drew Carey. LA Magazine did an estimate. It was like five, $600,000 that he spent. I think it's way more. I think Drew Carey spent a million dollars on these two diners by telling all the writers that they could go there anytime they want and show their card. The good thing for him is he's got it. So He does have it, yeah. How about plushies? Big winner, plushies? I, I didn't follow the plushie <laughs> thing as closely as other people did. Fran brought a plushie to the negotiations and referred to it Often, I am told. Every every time would always take it out. A jelly cat plushie. So if there is a surge of jelly cat plushies at the West LA uh, toy stores over the next you know four months, then we can thank Fran Drescher for that. Um, all right. I think that's a pretty good list. We'll see. 
people can send you and maybe send me their their yeah tweet at Lucas out. only only tweet at Lucas Are your we, picks we're we're, th- we're threading oh sorry or thread thread at is that do you call it threading I don't know thread at Lucas and I your choices for other stealth winners and losers um, that's it thanks for coming on thanks Matt. All right, that's the show. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Shaw. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We will be back for one more show this week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.